Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and on Tuesday, the Seahawks made a move in the offseason, picking up former Panthers tight end Greg Olson, signing him to a one-year $7 million deal that includes $5.5 million guaranteed with the Seahawks. That's per Adam Schefter. And here to talk about it, Joe Fan from NBC Sports Northwest. Joe, appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Uh, you know, always fun when you get some news in the offseason that shakes things up a bit. Yeah, and I think we all expected the Seahawks to do something at tight end this offseason, right? Because Ed Dixon, he was signed by the Panthers a couple years back. We saw him on the field for a bit in 2018. You got Will Disley, who since he's been drafted, he hasn't been able to finish the season. And and while he looks like the most talented prospect they've had at the spot in the Pete Carroll era, uh, he, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Jacob Hollister had some nice games this year, but I don't think anyone sees him as anything more than a solid number three. So I know that they're going to do something, but I wonder if they're even done at this point. I think they, I think at this point it's not a priority anymore. I think we, you know, like you said, I agree with you. We knew they were going to do something, you know, whether it was the the draft route or signing a, a veteran tight end. And obviously the Greg Olson news has been out there for, you know, what a week or two now. I mean, ever since he mutually parted ways at the end of January with the Panthers, um, you know, Seahawks fans were kind of grumbling on Twitter like, hey, is this possible? And all of a sudden it comes out that he's visiting Seattle. So we knew this was a possibility for at least a week now. So it's not completely out of left field. I think it does make a lot of sense. I know a lot of people are surprised by the price tag, but I think people just need to get past that. It's a one-year deal. It doesn't impact anything in the future. They still have plenty of money to make all the moves they want to this offseason. And to me, it's a nice low-risk move. He's a great veteran presence in the locker room. He's a guy who wants to play with Russell Wilson. He should be a great um mentor to Will Disley and Jacob Hollister. I think he's just a guy across the board you want in your locker room. And at the same time, you know, you have to make it worth his while. I mean, this guy's got a lucrative broadcast contract waiting for him when he wants to walk away from football. And, you know, the granted, he still wanted to play. But again, you have to make it worth his while now in what year 14, I think it is for him coming up in 2020. So I like the move. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think you're gonna see a lot of 12 personnel from the Seahawks in 2020 because i think you know will disley just given his track record of coming back from injuries i do believe he's going to be ready for the start of the season if not week one shortly thereafter just given his dedication to rehab and getting back on the football field so um, i think it's a nice move um i think it's always nice when you can check a box of your offseason to-do list before free agency or the draft even comes around that's the benefit that greg olson had being a free agent you know basically the entire month or, or two months ahead of when free agency opens for the rest of the league so he kind of had his pick of the litter. So uh, it worked out for him. I think it worked out for the Seahawks. And I think it's a nice, uh, nice move on a, on a Tuesday afternoon. And I am glad that the Seahawks at least have it addressed now because going into free agency, I know you hear from fans and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I want the Seahawks to go get Austin Hooper because he would be the best option. He's the youngest guy. But, you know, there's 31 other teams that are competing for and, and maybe not 31, but, you know, there's other teams competing for a player. And you can even offer a guy so much money, but he ultimately the guy's going to go where he wants to go. So this at least gets it out of the way for now. But I can't help wondering, you know, for the Seahawks fans who watched Jimmy Graham come to town and ultimately leave, you know, just at the age of 31, looked like he was on his last legs. And, you know, he hasn't done a whole lot since he went to Green Bay. But Greg Olson is a guy who's going to be 35 in this 2020 season, and he hasn't finished a full 16-game season since 2016. So is that a concern for a team you know, paying 5 dollars to $7 million for a guy who's going to be 35? 
I kind of I just get over the price tag. Like, to me, it's just like the salary cap. I think people harp on it so much, and like it's ultimately comes down like, would you like to have Greg Olson or not have Greg Olson? You know, then the answer if the answer is yes, then great, right? I mean, how many teams truly get to a point, especially with these like one year deals, right? This isn't some max contract where you're looking like it's going to put you in salary cap hell a couple years down the road. I mean. You think the Seahawks are really going to come down to the end of the season where it's going to be make or break, man, they need one or two million that they're either paying Greg Olson that they should have, you know, only paid him five instead of seven. Like ultimately, does it matter? But when I used to cover the Niners, it was the same kind of uh, people would get up in arms about the Kyle Juszczyk contract. And look how, you know, important he's been to what they've done in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And yes, is he overpaid for a fullback? You know, were the 49ers bidding against themselves? Who ultimately knows? And, and he, yes, he got a nice contract more than any other fullback has ever gotten. But at the same time, it's like you need him in your offense. So just get him. You know what I mean? Like that's the nature of being a free agent is that you have to overpay a bit. So to me, I think fans, it's, if you don't like the move, then, the, the, you know, obviously that's way too much. Right. But if you like the move, you're happy he's on the Seahawks roster. Then I think you just get past the number because I don't think it's going to be prohibitive for what the Seahawks want to do down the road. And, you know, the other point of him being 35. You know, ultimately, how much are the Seahawks really depending on him, right? If he can catch 45 passes for, you know, put up similar numbers to what he did in 2019 with the Panthers in 14 games, you take that every time, you know, because you're expecting to have Will Disley. You've got DK Metcalf. You've got Tyler Lockett. You've got whatever wide receiver they draft, I expect, in the top three rounds of this draft, right? So there's going to be other targets. You're not expecting him to be vintage Greg Olson the way you expected Jimmy Graham to carry your passing game of so, you know, in, in, in that way. So um, I think it's a completely different move that you have to look through a completely different lens. Well, and I guess the lens that I'm kind of looking at it from too, is if you're, you know, every one of these guys wants to reset the market, right? We heard that from Jadevian Clowney this past week, uh, at least through the Bleacher Report. And, you know, you hear it every single season, guys want to reset the market. And for the tight end market, it's not all that difficult to reset because you have Jimmy Graham at the top of the market. So, you know, paying a guy like Austin Hooper, if you pay him $11 million, which puts him right at the top of the tight end market, you're looking at a $7 million difference. And yeah, you're going to have to pay him more long term, but he's a younger player, too. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden that contract might might actually be prohibitive of the pass rusher or offensive lineman you're trying to get in free agency. And so, you know, I did, I viewed you know, tight end is a need. I did not view it as something nearly as desperate as the need to improve in the trenches. I think that is far more of a greater area of concern for the Seattle Seahawks on both sides of the football, you know, to where you need a number three wide receiver. You needed that, that insurance policy to Will Disley, so to speak. And, um, you know, you need uh, some other things, maybe a corner to compete with Trey Flowers. But again, you know, I wrote this in the ranking, the five positions of need for the Seahawks this offseason. We wanted two, and you can put them in either order whichever you feel is most important in your in your eyes, the offensive line and the defensive line is far superior to any needed tight end. So to me, paying Austin Hooper a massive contract, and I think it'll be north of $11 million. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what he and George Kittle get paid this offseason. You know, but those, yeah, those two guys are definitely going to reset the, the tight end market, and I don't think the Seahawks should have been in that market. So I'm glad to see that they took uh, Greg Olson instead. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, Russell Wilson was talking about the Seahawks needing superstars. Do you think Olsen fits what Russell had in mind? No, I don't think so. And I don't think Russell thinks so either. But, you know, you see their interactions on Twitter. They know each other. I mean, Russell Wilson being a sell for Olsen signing with the Seahawks as opposed to the Bills, the Redskins. You know, obviously the Redskins hired Ron Rivera. So there's plenty of relationships there. 
um, that he's familiar with. But, you know, the, the, the desire to play with Russell Wilson and, you know, especially in the twilight years of his career, I think is something that's really cool. And so um, I think he's a security blanket. I think he's a guy who's going to be reliable. I think it's going to be a great locker room presence. I think he's going to make some big plays and big moments, uh, even if the numbers aren't massive in 2020. Um, but no, I don't think you're looking at this and saying, man, it, it completely changes on this one move alone what the Seahawks' outlook is in 2020. Well, I think one guy that everyone can look at as a superstar is Jadevian Clowney. And with that report of him wanting to reset the market, you know, this is this is an interesting one for me. But, you know, he is a guy that I think has that potential. Do you see him being a guy who goes out there and gets you know upwards of Khalil Mack money? Yeah, I do. You know, especially given what he does in the running game. I mean, there aren't many edge players that are true, like dominant three down players. And just because he's, you know, a, a great, not spectacular pass rusher, he is great against the run as well. And there's not many edge, you know, defenders that can say that. And you saw just how many plays he just wrecks. You know what I mean? And it might not go in the stat sheet as anything other than a tackle for loss or a half tackle or maybe he doesn't get any, you know, stat because. You know, he doesn't make the play, but but you see when you watch the game, like you watch the eye test. I mean, that that game against the Niners gets you that contract on its own. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. single handedly wrecked that game for all four quarters. And it wasn't just, oh, in spurts, he flashed. Right. Like, you know, you look at Frank Clark this year. Right. In his moments, he was unbelievable, but it was in and out. It ebbed and flowed. And that's the case with most, you know, even the elite pass rushers. You look at Cleo Mack. He had big stretches this year where he didn't do a whole lot. But when Jadavian Clowney was on, it was all four quarters, and he wasn't coming off the field, and he was he was making plays all three downs. And so I do think he gets paid um, in a contract that could reset the market. I, I do think it's funny when you see, you know, after the game, you know, he was very, you know, candid about you know the game against the Packers in the divisional round. You know, I don't want to play for an 0-16 team. I want to play for a contender. That's more important to me. And then this Matt Miller report comes out saying, he, you know, he's going to reset the market and that's really important to him and all that. So ultimately the day, you got to get your money. But it is going to be interesting to see, you know, should he sign with a Dolphins, you know, team that's right in the middle of a rebuild? You know, all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, you know, you said and he didn't mince your words when saying you wanted to sign with a team that could help you get a ring. So I am really interested to see how the, the Jadavian Clowney uh, sweepstakes plays out. Well, here's the thing that's curious to me, though, Joe, is because I don't know if I've ever heard a player in an interview say that he wants to reset the market. They, they talk in other ways, you know, about uh, getting enough value or getting the bag, you know, I think is the, the common term that we heard last year. So, you know, that's to me more of something that I see an agent saying more than uh, an actual player. And so I don't know if that interview came from a quote or if it came from an email but uh, it is a little bit curious to me. And another guy that I think who wants to reset the market is Jermaine Effetti. And now that DJ Humphreys of the Cardinals, there's a guy that doesn't have to talk about resetting the market. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I agree, just going back to client, I do agree with you. I mean, I don't, I don't know where that report came from. I'm saying it's not true. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm good friends with Matt Miller. I think he's, he does an incredible job. So I you know, believe his sources are sound, but you know, it, it might also be, you know, whether, you know, Javen Clowney would refute that. I have no idea. It just, I'm, again, it just adds to the, to the my wording is just curious to me. That, that's the, that's sure. the only thing that's I'm getting at. <laughs> no, I, and I totally agree with you. I just think to me, it only adds to the intrigue of where he's going to end up and for how much, um, as for Jermaine Effetti, I mean, yeah, you look at what Humphrey's got. I mean, some team is going to pay him. I talked to Jeff Schwartz 
you know, at the uh, the Super Bowl, and he was talking about how well, you know, while he might not deserve it, uh, Jermaine Fetty is going to get a big contract in free agency, and um, you know, he was, you know, his his guess was the Seahawks wouldn't be wanting to pony up and match that offer, and you know, I'm kind of of the same belief, but who knows? I mean, the Seahawks have, have always seemed to to think of him in a you know in a greater light than than what most fans view him as, and you look at you know what Pro Football Focus views him as, and all that, and so you know, it does look like he's getting ready. Um, to get paid. And again, that's the nature of free agency for one, right? You're always overpaying. But at the same time, at that position, you know, the offensive line and those tackle spots, those are a hard positions to come by. And so look at a guy who played every single snap and he's dependable, you know, in terms of being on the field, that goes a long way. So, you know, yeah, I expect him to get paid as well. I think if the Seahawks, though, if they were going to keep Jermaine Effetti, they had the option to last season to pick up that fifth year option on him. And I feel like that was the moment that they decided that they weren't going to keep Jermaine Effetti beyond this year because that would have given him a $10 million deal for his fifth year. And now it's looking like he's going to get more than that, although fans have a hard time dealing with that $10 million number and the idea that he's going to get more. But then just looking at what DJ Humphreys got and you know we're talking $15 million a year, there's a guy who hasn't been able to stay healthy. Now he had a great season. You know how much of that season last year was impacted by the fact that he has Kyler Murray now behind him and has more escapability than previous quarterbacks. That might have helped. See, DJ Humphreys, I think, needs to break off some of that to, to Kyler Murray. Yeah, probably so. Um, but no, I mean, you, the logic is sound, right? If they weren't, if the Seahawks weren't willing to pay him $10 million last year, why are they going to pay him 15 in free agency this offseason? So, yeah, I do think Jermaine Effetti moves on elsewhere this offseason. Well, you talked to Jeff Schwartz down there. You also talked to Michael Robinson And Mike Robb, always a good one to try and get in the head of Marshawn Lynch and what he might want to do. And so after the break, let's talk about Marshawn Lynch and if he might be willing to come back to the Seahawks for another year in 2020. We'll hit that up next. Joe Fan of NBC Sports Northwest joining the show. Also the host of the Talkin' Seahawks podcast, And Joe had Michael Robinson on the podcast here recently down at the Super Bowl talking about the potential of Marshawn Lynch returning to the Seahawks. And it sounds like Marshawn Lynch may be willing to come back for another season. Yeah, I mean, he said he didn't know. I don't think Marshawn Lynch knows yet. And, you know, I I do think, I mean, there's just going to be this constant as long as he feels like he can play. I think, you know, the the sense I've gotten from the people I've talked to and and Mike Rob first and foremost, it it just kind of feels like, this guy loves football so much, and as long as he feels like he can do it, it seems like he wants to do it. And you saw the three games that he played, didn't miss a single practice, wasn't banged up once, was really successful in the red zone. And so I don't think there's any reason why he can't have a role. You know, if he's willing to come back and, and he wants to you know, be a mentor to, to young guys on the roster and have that presence again, I mean, I, you can't go wrong there. And I think, you know, especially if he gets a full off season of working out and a full training camp and all of that, there's no reason to think he can't be, you know, a better version of what you saw in that three game spurt. And I know that the yards per carry average wasn't impressive. And Mike Robb noted that, but I mean, again, look at what he did in the red zone, the extra effort, you know, getting to the goal line, kind of that vintage beast mode, four touchdowns in three games doesn't happen by accident, right? I mean, you can't luck into that. So, you know, I do think he's got a little bit left. Uh, Mike Robb thinks the same way. And, 
and believes not only you know that he uh, he still wants to play, but but that he'll only do so for the Seahawks, which I thought was interesting. Well, if CJ Procise can be carried on the roster for half the season before he gets hurt, I feel like having Marshawn Lynch in there, even if it's just to come in on third down and get some of that tough yardage up the middle, they they have Chris Carson, but he's a guy I feel like you want to try and keep healthy for the full season too, so you can help balance the load a little bit and you get Rashad Penny coming back hopefully by the beginning of the season. I saw he's starting to to work out at least a little bit. And, you know, if you can have those three guys versus and then have Travis Homer as your fourth guy, I, I feel like that rounds out a, a pretty good running back group. And even if, if Travis Homer is a, a roster casualty at that point, I mean, sure. I'm of the belief that you can find and this is no disrespect to Travis Homer because I don't think he's a fine player, but I also think there are Travis Homers, so to speak, all over the place, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think what Marshawn Lynch can bring you from an intangible standpoint, um, I think has weight. And, and again, if you have to cut a guy like a, a, a Travis Homer and he's your your roster casualty, then I think so be it. You know, I think if Marshawn Lynch truly wants to play and wants to be a part of it, wants to be a part of the offseason, wants to be a part of training camp, you really have to seriously entertain that idea. I also heard you talking to Steve Mariucci down there during the week of the Super Bowl. And I, I like his confidence that Mike Holmgren will eventually get into the Hall of Fame. But, you know, as a Seahawks fan, I, how long are we going to have to wait? I, I am after seeing Jimmy Johnson go in, after seeing Bill Cowher go in. I, I want to know that it's happening soon. I don't think it will. I mean, I think it's going to have to be a, I, the biggest issue is this, is that coaches are put in the same pool as players. Right. right. And so. Um, you know, Mike Holmgren at this point, the way this is going, you know, has to beat out a right tackle or a wide receiver or a safety, you know, to make it in this in the, you know, into the hall of fame. And that's, that's really challenging. Also unfair. Right. And so, you know, Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cowher really benefited from this 15 man centennial class where, you know, again, and I'm not, I don't want to be in the business of, um, discrediting someone's accomplishments, but I mean, those are made for TV moments. And I think it's pretty easy to see that, that, you know, they probably don't get the nod if they're not a part of Fox and CBS's pregame crew. And so when guys like that get in, Mike Holmgren has a legitimate gripe and, and, uh, Mooch pointed out others who have a very similar gripe. And so, um, you know, I do think it's important to, 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 to bang the drum, so to speak, because I think, you know, given what he did in San Francisco as a coordinator, with Green Bay as a head coach, then in Seattle as a head coach, you know, I think it's worth recognition. And, and Mooch was obviously very much on board. And you look at the coaching tree that Mike Holmgren claims is really impressive. So, you know, what was funny was when I, I put out that story in that podcast and all that, I had Packers fans being like, why, why are Seahawks fans upset? He's a Packer. He's a Packer. He's not a Seahawks. <laughs> and it's like, I think everyone's on the same team here. I don't yeah, think right. it really, I think we're, I think it's okay. It's like, no, I think it has to be one or the other. Is it okay but, for San Francisco 49ers fans to be upset about it too? Because, you know, they have they have a stake in this too. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was kind of funny. But <laughs> Mooch is a character. He's always, you know, he did some fun stories about Andy Reid and Mike Holmgren and all that, but um, was very passionate in, uh, in his support for Mike Holmgren's Hall of Fame candidacy. Definitely worth checking out on the Talking Seahawks podcast. Folks should check it out. I also... Joe, you know, before you go, I saw you discussing how the Seahawks have done in the draft the last few years, and I, I'm curious, what's your assessment been of how the Seahawks have done and just how they've drafted over the past few years? I don't think it's been great. You know, I think the conversation was with Evan Hill. He started, and I looked at this list that, you know, he's over the last three drafts, he's calling eight players hits, and, you know, just for starters, eight out of 31 isn't isn't great, you know, and so 
then it depends on what's the level of those hits, right? I mean, are those all eight pro bowlers? Then like, okay, then you can get by with that. If, you know, you're looking at guys who just because they play, you're calling it a hit. And so anyways, I look at that list and I was thinking, man, I, that's obviously, you know, that's awfully generous to call some of those guys. I mean, Marquise Blair and Cody Barton and, you know, on this list is hits. And it's like, okay, um, sure. I mean, just because they're projected to play potentially in 2020, you know, there has to be some production that goes along with just getting snaps. And so, you know, I I think that the people who are out there saying the Seahawks haven't drafted well over the last three years have a legitimate case to be made. And, you know, I think that the Seahawks have been poor at best over the last couple of years. And I think you look at those 31 picks and, you know, I would take off the, the three players I mentioned and I would probably add Michael Dixon. And, you know, so there's some some nice players, but you know, Shaquille Griffin right now is the only one that's looking like, you know, a, a, maybe a potential game changer. And obviously he's the only one that's made a Pro Bowl so far. And I do think yeah. it's way too soon to judge that, you know, it's, I, I do think you need to give the draft classes three years before you definitively judge them. But but to start calling guys hits before they've really done anything, I think is also a mistake. So um, I don't think it's something where I'm going to be, you know, writing big, you know, long form think pieces about how John Schneider's lost his way and can't draft anymore because I didn't th- I didn't think, you know, it's too soon to to make sweeping judgments over the last two years. Um, but I think it's fair to look at Shaquille Griffin's class and say, man, there's not a ton there um, now through three years. And, you know, there's a lot of work to be done in that 2018 class. There's still a lot of work to be done and uh, things to be proven by that 2019 class. So. I, I do think it airs on the side of poor rather than um, people are being too harsh on John Schneider and the Seahawks front office. I think there's legitimate cases to be made there. Yeah, and I agree with you that I think it does take a good three or four years down the road before you really can assess a draft class. And I, everybody compares, I think, John Schneider to his success that he had in 2011 and 2012. And I don't think it's realistic to ever think that he's going to match those types of seasons because those are just you know, outrageously successful drafts and you know way above the norm. So I, I do feel it's come back a little bit more toward average. So if, if you look at 2017, yeah, they got Shaquille Griffin, David Moore, Chris Carson in the seventh round, you know, for those guys to have had as much playing time as they had, you know, Chris Carson, borderline Pro Bowl talent. Uh, Shaquille Griffin obviously made the Pro Bowl. You left off Michael Dixon as a Pro Bowler, actually made all pro as rookie season. So you know, you can add him in there, too, as a success. Oh, sure. I think I was going off of what Evan's list was. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> um, but no, I, I agree with you. But again, you look at, right, you're counting David Moore. Like, it's a nice find. But, like, again, how, you know, much is he truly impacting the game, right? How hard is it to replace David Moore? Sure. You know, how hard is it to replace Chris Carson? A great running back, very productive. But, you know, I think running back's the most replaceable position in football, right? And I think there's a lot of people that share that opinion. So while I'm not trying to say Chris Carson isn't a good player, David Moore wasn't a nice find in the seventh round, those aren't game changers that are helping you win a Super Bowl, right? It's not George Kittle in the fifth round. It's not Richard Sherman in the fifth round. You know, I'll, you know, I'll give you Shaquille Griffin in the third. That's a great pick. But you need more of those to where it's not just, oh, those are nice guys who can play. You know, or is Cody Barton going to be a game changer? Is Cody Barton going to be a guy who elevates your defense? Is Marquise Blair going to be a force in the secondary that can be relied upon for years to come. We don't know that yet, you know? So it's, it's, it, you have to raise the bar beyond, Oh, like that's a nice player. Like, you know, good value in the seventh round is different than man. They hit a home run in the third or second or fourth or fifth or whatever the case may be that you're looking at a player that might change the trajectory of, of what your, your outlook is for the next three to five years. 
Well, the Seahawks have the combine coming up to go to and uh, start scouting the players for 2020. You going to be there, Joe? I will be there just for a couple of days. Uh, Pete and John will speak on Tuesday, and I'll be there for it. We will be looking forward to it. I'm sure people can tune in. Talking Seahawks podcast. Where else do people go to find you? Uh, yeah, on Twitter at Joe underscore fan, NBC Sports Northwest.com. Talking Seahawks podcast is anywhere you can find, uh, where you know, any platform you, you prefer to listen to your podcasts. And uh, yeah, that's, I think that's it. Joe Fan, really want to thank you for coming on the show. Help break down the news of uh, Greg Olson coming to the Seahawks. And we'll look forward to talk to you again this offseason. Hey, man, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you. A big thanks to Joe Fan of NBC Sports Northwest, one of the best beat reporters out there. Be sure and check out his Talking Seahawks podcast. Also, be sure and check out FieldGoals.com. It is award season, and we're doing the gullies. You can vote on the best of the 2019 Seahawks season. Check out the article at FieldGoals.com. The categories are the non-Russell Wilson Offensive Player of the Year. You can choose between Chris Carson, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Will Disley, and Jacob Hollister. Also, Defensive Player of the Year. You got Rookie of the Year between DK Metcalf, Marquise Blair, Ugo Amadi, Travis Homer, Cody Barton, and John Ursua. And Most Improved Player of the Year. So check that out. Voting closes February 28th. Part 2 is going to be up on Wednesday the 19th. So just as you're hearing this, you can look for Part 2 of those categories as well and check that out. Fieldgoals.com. Be sure to subscribe to this show. SBNation.com slash NFL Podcasts. And if you want to help support this show, you can go to glow.fm forward slash flock, G-L-O-W dot F-M forward slash F-L-O-C-K. Help support the show on either a one-time or recurring basis. Appreciate you tuning in. I will be back later this week. Talk more Seahawks football. Until then, go Hawks. Go Hawks.